I'm Kevin Davey of Gold.Beer in Heater Allen, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest is Natalie Rose Baldwin of Wayfinder Beer, and she is here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media to support journalism in a beer space in the beer space that check out our Patreon, All About Beer. Sorry about that. I don't do this for a living, everybody. We'll get into the conversation, but in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushang. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. All right. A bit about my guest today. Natalie Rose Baldwin is brewmaster at Wayfinder Beer in Portland, Oregon. She worked as research and development brewer at Breakside Brewery from 2017 until just recently and has been brewing since 2014. She started in the industry pouring and washing kegs, quickly learning to brew at Burnside Beer Brewing in the fall of 2014. In early 2017, Baldwin was hired as production brewer at Breakside Brewery and later was promoted to Breakside's research and development brewer. Natalie's brewing interests vary with a predominant focus on esoteric lagers, saisons, and specialty beers using seasonal flowers, tea, spices, and fruit. Natalie has won several medals at the Great American Beer Festival and is also a professional judge at the GADF Annual Beer Cup, works with the Oregon Brewers Guild Diversity and Equity Committee, is the Portland area Pink Boots Portland chapter co-leader, and was recipient of the Pink Boots Scholarship in 2018. Outside of work, she enjoys traveling, backpacking, baking, frolicking in fields of flour with her dog, Beef. Welcome, Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) Frolicking in fields of flowers with her dog, Beef. I think I I got that right. Sneezing in a field of flour. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, welcome, Natalie. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing really well. How's your um, first official week with Absolutely Zero Kevin? Um, um, hanging out. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's the first week with Zero Kevin because here we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can't get rid of me that easily, right? Nah. Well, and, and I FaceTimed you yesterday with a mild panic that was totally fine. So, you know, we're not Kevin free yet. <laughs> well, I'm always available. I'm easy. <laughs> well, say that me- now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wanted to know more about Natalie. Tell me the Natalie Baldwin origin story. Tell me about what got, like, I don't, I think it's more compelling. What got you into craft beer in general? Not I washed kegs at so-and-so from this and then to that and then. Like, yeah. what, what, what is, what got you here? Um, when I was in my early twenties, I lived in Colorado. I went to school in Denver and, um, there's a couple different things that made me like get into beer, but I remember going to the great divide tap room when, you know, it was just like a little baby. And, um, there was this bartender that worked there that was super into beer, was like getting into brewing himself, like at the brewery. And I would sit down there and he would explain like beer styles to me. And I was like, this is actually pretty cool. I specifically remember when he explained, um, a Saison to me and just like, you know, 
the word itself, where it was brewed, how beers were brewed, what the yeast tastes like. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Right. And um, then I drank a Yeti and got super fucked up and <laughs> thought it was even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I know nobody tells you that. Like, oh, by the way, it's also uh, a big you, beer. It's a bit, a bit of intoxicant, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I talked about this recently, but when I've just never been like, I'm kind of not fun is not the right word, but I just like to go to bed at a reasonable hour. Mm -hmm. And on my 21st birthday, my best friend is a couple days younger than me. And so she couldn't go out with me on my birthday. So we went out on her birthday, but I waited till midnight on my birthday, walked to this like dark, cozy little dive bar right near my house. And looked at the beer menu. I didn't even think about a cocktail, which is kind of funny because that was, you know, I didn't know what cocktails were, so that didn't even matter. But um, I just ordered the first beer that I thought was cool. And it was one of the session beers from um, Full Sail because I was like, oh, that's like an Oregon craft brewery. Right, right. Um, then went back the next day and I was like, you know, try feeling a little bit more adventurous because I was 21 in a day. And um <laughs> I had a duchess and then that like totally blew my mind and then here we are you know all these years later so that was like the aha moment like uh yeah mind opening I, I didn't think beer could taste like x or y or whatever yeah exactly i think a lot of people don't know this but um talking to you over the years like you're like you can smell colors and see oh, yeah. oddball <laughs> shapes you want to how is that like when you drink beer like what the the hell is going on in your brain um who knows honestly <laughs> but uh yeah I didn't really realize that other people didn't experience like flavors in the same way until I started judging beer and when I was describing you know something that smelled like gemstones or the way that something felt like Wednesday or something like that people um were like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and when I had to start like um, converting the way that I was tasting things into words that made sense for other people, it was kind of like I have two different dialogues in my head of sensory experiences, whether um, it's a color, a shape or a texture or whatnot. I have to like be able to make that translatable to what someone else understands. Right. Like if um, a, a check pills tastes like the color that artificial blue raspberry looks like then how do I tell that to someone <laughs> so right. um again who knows what's going on but it's definitely been a, a fun thing for me to like sometimes I'll meet other people who know what I mean or sort of can at least um experience that and sometimes with people who I've tasted with for a long time especially folks at Breakside understood a little bit more um of the the weird part of it so it got a little bit more fun to talk through stuff in that realm i always felt like hearing you talk about that i always feel like it's like a leg up that i don't have like i remember smelling like you know paa like piercing yeah. acid for me it has like this the vinegar aspect of it comes across mm -hmm. like like purple and also yeah. like dog shit like uh -huh. at the same time yeah and i don't know that's the only that I remember like being like, well, uh, that's kind of a weird thing. But is that like, is that useful? Like, are you, are there beers that other people just absolutely adore? And you're like, ah, no, it's this. What the, yeah. You know? Um, I think in the last, like, I also sometimes 
I think a lot of people actually do this, like taste beer in a little bit of like a chart sort of like if something is it, like, if something is sweet or soft, it's round, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. an obvious translatable one for people. But like, I started realizing like sharp pokey things is our tannins, which obviously makes sense. Mm. But like when some beers have like really sharp tannin profile, which interact with a sharp ester profile, it's like this softness and pokiness. And then it's kind of like this, uh, I wish you could see my hands right now, everyone, but it's like this, <laughs> this confliction or con yeah, just like a, a uh, is confliction a word? Yeah, sure. Sounds weird. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. Anyways, I, I think that sometimes I have visceral reactions to things and it's not necessarily a flavor profile. It's the way that it feels to me. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yes, definitely something that's happened before. I feel like it's like a like a like a jellyfish. Like if you were to feel a jellyfish, it feels very soft and malleable. But then it also yeah. sting it also stings because it's got a poison in it. Yep. It's kind of <laughs> like a good way to put ugh, it. Ugh, gross. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Ew, bad, gross. No. So um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what's your, what's your approach to recipe design? Um, it's been really interesting over the handful of years that I've been in R and D because for a while, um, I approached beer as like a final product, which is like obviously the goal, but I think that, or I don't know, maybe sometimes I would focus on specific ingredients that I wanted to use, whether that's a hop or a flower or something like that. And as my skills improved, I sort of got pretty good at creating beers that have layers and a bunch of different aspects. So it's not like, again, with the feelings here. So like chamomile is soft and sweet and adds mouthfeel, not just flower flavor. So like if I'm building a beer around that, I don't want to have something that's overly sweet and soft around it because then that's just going to make like a super soft soft beer oh, so wow. then do i i could use a less like for example if i wanted to make like a, a soft pilsner based beer with chamomile i would start with something that's not so sweet and doughy um like a vireman pills would be very sweet for example mm -hmm. and i wouldn't add wheat to it because i know that that would be like or I mean, you could, I wouldn't add a lot of wheat to it because I didn't, I don't want to like build on those like pillowy things. I want it to like the pillowiness come from chamomile. And then like, where do you want to in, um, pull in your tannin structure? Is it going to be hops? Is it going to be something from the malt? Is it going to be water profile? Is it high carb? Like all of those things coming together. So that's an example of the way that like, I sort of build things in my head and you can still, um, or I still like to incorporate, um, you know, specific flavors from hops and stuff like that. But I, I think that like when I'm building a beer, I like to, I would never just make like a beer and then replace the hops in it. I'm, right. I'm designing every aspect of the beer with different components because I want the, everything to interact the way that I want them to interact. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I, I'm, it's funny. I think I'm kind of opposite. I'll like come up with a base and want to like, well, what would it look like with the, with these colors or what would it look mm -hmm. like with these colors? You know what I mean? Like, uh, what would Nelson and Crystal look like versus Cascade and Centennial? Um, well, but you have to do those experiments so that you can do the next part of it. A lot of it is just having this like catalog in your head of what all these components behave like. And until you have that whole catalog, then you can't really make any of the other suggestions or any of the other changes. And obviously 
most of the ingredient or all the ingredients we were using, except for like, you know, I, water still changes around here, but like everything is an agricultural product that shifts from year to year. So you can get right. to know a hop or a flower or a spice really well. And then you get a different lot of it and you're kind of like shaken and have to start all over again to a certain degree. Right. You can know like base parts of it. Um, but yeah, the, the whole catalog that you have in your sensory memory and, um, just your data driven memory too. There's all those little pieces create your ability to create beer. That's fascinating. Like what, so when you do have like a change in let's say a hop or in a mall, like how do you, do you have parameters that you're like, okay, well, we're getting the 2023, um, mosaic in or whatever like are what do you do like are, are i mean what have you done historically because yeah at, at breakside like obviously like grinding them up and sticking up your nose is one thing but like what else have you done um so specifically to what you just said with mosaic which is kind of funny one of the last beers i made at breakside there's like a this little section of maybe about five beers that i'm thinking of but one beer specifically um, I did a trial with, with new lot mosaic hops. And so I kept everything in the beer exactly the same and just subbed in the mosaics to see what they tasted like with everything else. Mm. And let's say that it's more intense in whatever realm, like it could be, you know, depending on how you're selecting hops, thankfully not like onion garlicky, but like, let's say there was like a realm of, of this hop that you didn't really like, is it you know, you've already contracted for this hop, you're going to use it. So how are you changing proportions of other, other hops or potentially other lots of those other hops that you have to get the target? Um, you know, there's parts of it too, where you're like staying in brand specific range, but right. with variation to, um, ingredients. So, you know, you're not going to change the beer completely or the beer is not going to stay the same forever, but at least like you can find the most pleasant drinkable way to experience these hops or ingredients to a certain, um, to, to, you know, to the best of your ability. And sometimes you have to retire a brand or make something completely new, but, um, I mean, hopefully not retire a brand, just, uh, give it a little facelift or whatever, but yeah, right. does that kind of answer your question? That was a little bit of a rant. No, that works. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're podcasting. Let's rant. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, to to that to that uh, regard, um, what kind of since you're the brewer, the R and D brewer for a huge chunk of time, um, what was what was uh you mean want to talk about some of your favorite beers that you made? Yeah, um, R and D at, at Breakside was really interesting because all of the recipes that we were making at the pubs weren't necessarily like designed for upscale like a part of it was messing around with yeast or uh dylan who's the r&d brewer he's like the lead r&d brewer now at rigside but like when he makes beers he's not always um he'll he'll like make a beer with a new hop lot or a new um potential like a um hbc or something like that and when he's using those hops He'll, he'll kind of figure out how it's interacting with all of the other hops. And then, you know, that'll get scaled up to different use and and at the bigger brewery, but it's not necessarily like, he's not just like making a beer. So that specific beer gets scaled up at Milwaukee. There's like the R and D gets uh, done in a different way. So the way that I got to do it was basically, you know, 
make kind of whatever I wanted. And part of the, that, like, that's a big open area, right? Like to do whatever you want all the time is, is honestly like so much freedom. And before I was leaving, I was looking through all the recipes that I had made and, you know, scroll however many times because made a shitload of beer. Um, but some of my favorite beers were some of the most like boring ones because, uh, like not a boring one, but just not like the super cool kid, like sexy stuff. Like Anyone who's ever heard me talk about Goza knows that that's like my favorite baby ever. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's my baby, baby. That was. You the, should talk I, about Goza. I don't think everybody knows that story. I do, but um, tell me, tell me about Goza. Yeah. So when I first started le- learning to brew, the brewer that um, I worked with was super into Berliner Weisse, and so I drank like a bunch of Berliners. And I got to know like the acid profile and the wheat. And then I remember when Tanya from 10 Barrel first released um, German Sparkle Party. She had a, a couple other Berliner Weisses that were released. But that was one that like I, I remember back in the days where I would go to like a beer release party. And I remember yeah. going to one and everyone was like, yeah, there's this like badass lady brewer, Tanya. And she's this is when I was first like getting into beer and learning about everybody. And um. So yeah, I just, I really came to adore like beautiful, elegant lacto profiles. Mm. And then when I discovered Goza, I was like, I'm, I'm a savory girl myself. So Mm -hmm. this like really beautiful bouquet of lacto, um, coriander, and then the acidity with the salinity can, you know, combine just like what a weird little, little beer. And then learned about the history of it and just thought it was so crazy. And I remember drinking, um, uh, Rubens Goza for the first time. And I was like, this is so good. And kind of chatted with them and learned about like what sort of coriander they were using, what their TA and pH was, and then sort of designed a beer to, um, kind of off of that specific beer. And originally when we were making it, I was like, should we call it like two Rubens with love? Cause I just love this beer so much. <laughs> we didn't do that, but that was sort of like my, um, American, you know, what I wanted to base a beer off of just because I wanted to drink it all the time. And then I got a scholarship through the Pink Boots to go to Germany. And on top of the traveling I did with the scholarship, I tacked on some other cities, like went to Cologne and drank drank Kolsch. And (laughs) I also, I was trying to make it up to Goslar, which is in the Harz Mountains where Goza is like originally from, because I wanted to taste like what the water profile was like. And just kind of learn a little bit more about like where Goza came from. But when um, it was revived, it was revived, revived in Leipzig. So I went to Leipzig and like went and drank Goza there and it was darker and sweeter than I expected. Or just, you know, I had all these beer or had this beer in bottle in the U S but it's different than, you know, going to a brewery and trying it. And yeah, very excited to, you know, paid for me to travel around and do all that stuff. Had this Goza um, came back and I don't I think it was before I went to Germany, but there was a, a competition that we had entered Goza in and the Rubens got gold and I got silver or they got silver and I got bronze or something like that. I don't remember, but I was like, Oh fuck, I kind of did wow. it. Like, yeah, this is a big deal. Fuck yeah. And then, um, we, over the years just kind of like kept brewing this over and over and over again, despite like, you know, it was, when you brew like six batches at back to back, it's the, the bartenders are like, Hey, this is R and D. Can you like do something cooler? Um, mm-hmm. but I was like, we're, we're dialing this shit in. And 
anyways, in 2020, um, it placed at, a in, at GABF. And I felt very, very proud of all of the work, like literally traveling, traveling around the world and, um, working with our QA team and coming up with a bunch of different processes to make the beer better and better. And, um, yeah, that was my baby. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I, um, scheduled my last day at Breakside around, um, that being the last beer that I brewed. Oh <laughs> yeah. It, it, so this is definitely the favorite beer. Yeah. Yeah. I've never That's let a- anyone else touch it. And then Dylan, after I left, had to, um, be the first person to like transfer it and kind of make some decisions on cold side stuff or whatever. And he did great and wonderful. And I appreciate it. But I think he was, I don't know if he was nervous or he just, yeah, again, I never let anyone else touch it. So. <laughs> How does that feel? <laughs> um, I love him so much and trust him so much that I wouldn't want it to be anyone else. <laughs> that's hilarious. Cause that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> I did not want to let go of any of the little wayfinder beers, but then when you came aboard, I was just like, here you go. <laughs> you know, you take them. Yeah. I'm sure you saw like the, my specific spice of neurosis and, um, the way that I want things to be perfect. And like, we've sort of talked about this a little bit, but, and also when other people are like, so what are you going to change at Wayfinder? And right. something that we've talked about is like, I've never, I've never wanted to own my own brewery. I don't really want to create a brand. Um, something that I'm really good at is messing around with beers and sort of like something that I really value from my time at Breakside is the way that we constantly were evaluating and tasting through beers because every single turn that we made of a beer, we adapted something or appreciated where it was, or like there's some things that didn't get adjusted every time, but it could be like, let's bring the TG up. Let's adjust the water profile, whatever it is, just tiny, Mm -hmm. tiny little things. It's not like you're changing everything all the time. It's you're trying to like make the beer taste the way that you want it to despite all of the things that are always happening around it. Right. And I always feel like there's like this parabola, like you start, you have a beer and if it doesn't come out, if it doesn't come out the way you want it to, then you make sweeping changes and then you get maybe halfway closer and then you make another pretty big sweeping change. And then it's just like, you're just kind of coasting down toward the the line, like move move this, move that, move this. Exactly. So I think like what, my whole idea here is, you know, there's, we each have different visions for like what a specific beer style should taste like. Right. But, um, now I get to tinker with them. (laughs) So (laughs) it's fun because I don't have to create a brand. There's already like delicious, wonderful beers, nice brewery, like everything's sort of set up. And now I get to just kind of like dial stuff into the way that like, I want them to be. And maybe there's a more elegant way to say that because it's, there's no like negative connotation to like the way that I want it to be but hopefully that makes sense without being yeah there's there's nothing I feel very like glad to walk into this situation and I feel like there's already the whole vision and drive of like the type of beer that I want to make I just get to tinker and dial stuff and and make new things and directions that I like too yeah yeah that's interesting so it's almost like you're at that bottom part of the parabola and you're you're just fine-tuned which is probably I mean, honestly, when we, over the seven years that, you know, me and Wayfinder doing the whole thing, I got to this point where I was kind of burnt out and didn't want to care. I'm like, no, this works. Go just make, keep doing it. Just keep, you know, I I got other things I got to deal with. I got, I got to do sales projections. I got to do 
you know, we got to put in tanks. We got to talk about cold storage. We got all, all these other things. And it was just like, I am relieved that like some of these, some of these things that I know need to be updated in our beer, just like, Oh, you know, like 2021 was a crappy malt year. And I think it shows in some of our beers, you know, and um, I haven't, I haven't been able to mess with it. Yeah. It's fun because like, I don't have to start from scratch when I begin here. Cause like, I can, um, you know, get my feet underneath me, make all my spreadsheets because I'm a spreadsheet girly, get all my stuff like dialed. And then I can start like creating beers that are off of, you know, you know, additional recipes that I want to make and more beer that I want to make and new brands and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's fun because I get to like build off something and then also make my own in addition um, and make things more and more you know, what I think the break, the break side, wherever I work now, um, the, the way that the Wayfinder beer should taste and will taste and kind of like moving forward from that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you, what do you, what kind of beer are you most excited to make at Wayfinder? I mean, I'm excited um, for what you do. I just want to say this. I'm very excited about Natalie being part of Wayfinder and where that goes. Um, no pun intended. um i i'm i think it's going to be sorry i think it's going to be really really cool and exciting for the future thanks um yeah i'm i'm super excited uh i think that i just kind of like to make like you said earlier i like to make esoteric loggers right like I remember when I first started making a French Pilsner, there wasn't really like French Pilsners. And I was sort of calling it a French Pilsner because I thought it was funny, not because it was anything. Um, Using, uh, you know, French malt and Strisselspall is like one of my favorite hops. So it was kind of like focused on there and I wanted it to be like a little bit rustic and um, things like that. Uh, And like I mentioned earlier with chamomile where something that I particularly enjoy. I don't like when flavors like hit you over the head. I like when they're a small, like delicate component. And um, I'm excited to make um, like cute little beers that have those like delicate, unexpected, like non-traditional components. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like the the tiny little things. Um, I'm excited to make like a Berliner and a Goza here and yeah, I don't know. Just uh, I don't have a babysitter anymore, so who knows what's going to happen? You know. Are, are you go. talking about Ben Edmonds on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, He's our favorite, by the way. We both. Are I ben love Ben so much, and he was the best boss that I've ever had. And I value our friendship and the communication that we've had since I started in beer. You know, it, it was the first time that I had ever had someone. Um, like fully support everything I did, but also like teach me things in not like a condescending way. Like he has always um, helped me learn without making me feel like I needed to. Does that kind of make sense? Like, yeah. um, When I stepped in at, at Breakside, I didn't know a whole lot about all the technical and like data driven parts of beer and Um, I got to learn all of that as I was in like a pretty trusted position and, 
Um, yeah, Ben's wonderful and has supported me so, so much and supplied so many resources and points of access in my career. And I hope that I will continue that and pay that forward with people that I get to work with too. That's great. And speaking of Ben and Breakside and everything you guys have accomplished, I feel like um, every time I go to GABF or World Beer Cup, it's just a procession line of Natalie and Ben going up on the stage, Natalie and Ben back up on the stage again, <laughs> you know, and me getting hosed. Um, what What's the secret? How do you guys keep winning? What's the winningest secret? How come I can't win? next GABF is it Wayfinder's going to get like eight medals in a row I'm like god damn it Natalie always beats me <laughs> I hope so yeah no pressure Natalie don't fuck this up um, I think the way that there was success when I worked you know at Breakside or in, and other big companies like that I honestly think it's the way that those beers are constantly being evaluated and talked through and um, I definitely learned how to have conversations around, like, I think that it's really hard when parts of your beers are like ego driven, which is something that I've definitely like I've done where I'm like, this is how the beer is supposed to taste. I don't care if you don't like it. And part of me learning how to like adapt what I think the beer should taste like to what the public says it should taste like. I think there has to be like a delicate balance between those. And like when you're making beer for competitions, you know, like after World Beer Cup and I guess I haven't been to World Beer Cup with Ben, but uh, judging, but not to like CDC. Um, but after GABF, we um, leave the ceremony and then all of the brewers that have won beer, won medals and they have beers on the floor, they have like a little metal sticker next to it. So you can try beers that have won. And so if there's beers on draft and categories that we're interested in, or just in general, we'll just go around the whole floor and taste all of the beers that have won. And I'm like, okay, so this beer won in German Pilsner. It has this water profile. It has these hops. It presents like this. And so part of it is just, you know, poking around and see what's going on. And there's a dance, delicate dance between what a beer style will always be and how it's constantly evolving, right? Right. And I specifically noticed this in Czech Pilsner over the last couple of years. And, you know, I've thought a lot and we've had extensive conversations about how to adapt and design beers to stay within the, the style and to fit in with other what other people are making. Like, I'm not going to make a beer a certain way because that's what everyone's doing. But if the beers are trending in IPA or right. pale ale, for example, to have less bitterness or less malt or what, whatever is going on. Like the way to stay current is to keep like poking around and having conversations with people and, and whatever. So I don't know if that answers your question directly, but I think that a lot of the, the ways that we found success is conversation and um, constantly again, this is goes, goes back to what I was talking about earlier, tinkering and, and yeah. making sure things are, are evolving constantly. And like some beers stay the same forever and they win over and over again, Allagash white, you know, like those, those beers are good for a reason. And the tinkering comes, you know, with new crop and new lots and all of those types of things. But that's, that's the real finesse, right. To like make this beer that's so beautiful and world renowned and, um, 
constantly like at the top of people's games. It's, it is what it is, but it's always um, current. If that right. makes sense. I, early on in my, um, I think my first or second, no, it was my first GABF. Um, so this was 2010. This was a while ago, not that long for everybody who's um, talking, but um, it was kind of weird. There was it was a lot smaller. The award ceremony was like on the GABF floor. Um, it only felt like a couple hundred people were there. It was really before the 2012 explosion of, brew, of breweries, and I kind of just hung out with a bunch of the logger. We all kind of ended up like in the same spot. I remember I was over at AC Golden drinking uh troy casey's dunkel and um try and then some guys from victory were there and some people from gordon Biersch were there and i was working at chucking it at the time and we had hung out at the sandlot and then sandlot back in the day made all these great loggers and they had like this mm -hmm. big brewers gathering there it was probably if, if anybody missed out on that i'm so sorry because that was probably one of my favorite things to do was go drink a bunch of beers at sandlot before the gabf and um when the award ceremony happened, I, I, I was still pretty young in my career, and I remember not the people, the beers that we tried on the floor that people brought for the competition. A lot of the ones that we really loved just didn't win. And I turned to um, uh, Bill, who used to work at the Sandlot, and uh, I'm like, "Why don't they just have the judges? Why don't they just have like that group that we were hanging out with all those lager brewers? Why aren't they judging the lager beers?" And he's like, well, that, you know, if, if, if that happened, maybe Sierra Nevada Paleo would win every year. And that would be kind of boring. And I think <laughs> that, you know, like, I think he's right. I've, I've thought about that a lot in that, you know, beer. I think that most people that are hardcore traditionalists are like Czech Pilsner is one thing, you know, or Czech Lager or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, German Pilsner is one thing. It can only be this one thing. And I would say it is only one thing and it isn't at the same time, you know, like, I agree, yeah. like it can definitely be a traditional thing and it can be something that's new and it can be, you know, flavors are going to change, period. Language mm -hmm. changes. There's no way that what, what you're drinking, the half of ice and you're drinking now tasted anything like, you know, the German royalty of the 1800s were drinking. It's just, there's no way. Yeah. There's just no fucking way. So you know, um, I, yeah, that's I, exactly it. Like what, what, what is it supposed to be and where is it at currently? And I don't think that things that taste bad generally are driving the, um, flavor profile, right? Like the, the things that are making the beers change for the better are, or the better, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm catching myself in something I don't fully, fully agree with, but I, I do think that there are positive changes that trend um, and some things that don't, you know, category sizes shift and beer styles change and all those things happen as we are constantly learning more. And it's pretty cool because the, the more we get into the beer industry, the more technical brewing happens. Right. And, uh, the science and QA aspect of stuff is constantly changing and evolving too. And the more we learn right. about that, the more we can change things. And like, I think specifically about when hazy IPA first started becoming super popular, I was like, I mean, you could probably hear me on podcast talk about like how I disliked intentionally flawed beer, but the more right. I learned about like ester uh, production, biotransformation, all these other things, um, 
there's positive aspects that we've learned about files and other other um, components of hops and survivals and whatever else um, because of part of the difference in yeast, mm-hmm. you know. So so that that's all part of it. And you know, sometimes based on things we learned in hazy IPAs, we treat West Coast IPAs a little bit different. Whether that's in how we're designing the hop loads, when we're adding, when we're dry hopping, when we're dumping. Uh, hops, all of those things. So um, I guess the way that I'm perceiving all these changes, like we're just constantly learning and adapting in in that type of way. And sometimes beer styles will change a little bit. Like if check pills isn't quite as like malty and and as as intense as it would be um, authentically, like maybe a little bit less whatever makes it a little bit more enjoyable or whatever else. I don't know if that's a perfect example, but just, but just something that could potentially, and is I've noticed changing. So. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, if you were to go, if you go to Prague and if you go around Czech Republic and you drink beers at places, I don't think anything you're going to drink is going to be winning at GABF. No, because the American interpretation of Czech lager is far different than what is being made in Czech Republic. Yeah, um, that's another thing to think about, which exactly what you said, like the authenticity of the beer style. We're all doing interpretations of different styles, unless it's ones that we've invented, right? Right. Yeah, and you know, and, and styles evolve. You know, like I think that New England IPA or hazy IPA or whatever you want to call it has far less to do with IPA. In, it, in its general sense, it's it's sweet. It's um, not bitter. Um, mm-hmm. It's very tropical. It's not doesn't have the pine resiny. You know, it can. Pillowy. Yep. It's pillowy. It it has far less to do with IPA than say something like I'm just going to say it. Cold IPA is a lot more like IPA. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Yeah, like as far as constructing like bitterness and hot profile and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. What else can we talk about? I want to say, I want to say happy women's day, international women's day. That's really Woo-hoo. awesome. Um, I, if, if I had, we get to pick whomever we want to interview, I was really excited to pick you. I, I said this a little bit before, but um, if, 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 if I were to pick um, a dude for this podcast, I would have asked them, you know, questions about like, how is me too? And um a lot of the stuff that Brianne did, how has that changed your life? Um, is there anything that you want to talk about, about that? Is there anything about um, the changes in our industry that you want to, that you want to bring up? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of things to say about it, but I think one thing that I think a lot of other women would understand and, and relate to is, you know, despite loving Breakside for, for many, many reasons. Um, I had a great job, but one of the big reasons that I loved Breakside so much is that I did not get harassed at work. I could go to work and use my brain and I didn't have to worry about like my boss undermining me or um, not giving me access to resources or whatever else. Like when I worked at Breakside, no one fucked with me because right. what are you going to do? Like, get out of here, go away. This is just like unacceptable behavior. And I don't, I think a lot of other women, it's, I mean, not, I don't think it's been proven that a lot of other women don't have those same privileges. And my job before 
Burnside and, and Breakside, um, you know, they told me that I had like a, an owner that was sexually harassing me. I reported it to HR. And when I reported it to HR, they told me that I didn't understand what he was doing and that I just was like misinterpreting his behavior and touching and whatever mm. else. Um, and they told me if I learned to behave, they would teach me how to brew. And, um, now I work for a brewery. What does the sticker say? I saw the other day, um, drink beer and raise hell. Yeah. So (laughs) fuck those guys. Um, and you know, a lot of that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have my peers around me also not accepting that sort of behavior, you know? Um, but so I think it's been something I've been working with and having to deal with for a really long time, but something that I've, um, noticed, you know, transitioning into my role as brewmaster at Wayfinder, you know, when I first started brewing, there was, you know, less than four female brewers in Portland. And one of them was Whitney and she was the first Portland brewmaster at 10 barrel. And, um, right now it's, you know, Whitney opened her own brewery. So she has grand fur, she's brewmaster. Um, she was followed by Maddie, um, who is brewmaster at 10 barrel. And then, um, Anna is brewmaster at steeplejack and then I'm here. So it's a pretty cool thing. And, uh, again, to repeat what I started this comment with is something that I've noticed since I've taken this job is that not one person, I like look through comments, my peers, the public, not one person has made any comment about me being like, Oh, look, a female brewmaster or anything like that. I I think that I'm, I would like to think that I'm at a point in my career where people um, know me because of beers I make and how I exist in the industry and how I try to contribute in a lot of different ways, but having nothing to do with being, um, I guess it's not nothing to do. I, I, you know, my awareness and the conversations I had are, are based around the fact that I am a woman and I have been through a lot of these things and, and whatever else, but the, you know, people aren't talking about me being at Wayfinder because I'm a, a woman. I think it's because of, you know, where I've been. At least I'd like to think that. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, um, yeah. yeah. I think that uh, I, I came into brewing from the plumbing industry and the construction, right? And uh, when I got into brewing, it was definitely, it still is a, definitely a boys club, but like, um, I guess it didn't, to me, it felt like less of boys club than construction. And it, I couldn't even process how much change we really need to have. And it's been a very, very good eye-opening moment for me. I've always considered myself accepting and and pre- pretty leaning to the left on all of these issues. But putting your money where your mouth is, I think, is, is really important and also... Um, the hard thing for me to do over the years that I'd like to say I want to get better at is calling out my peers because that's, it is, it's hard. It's, I think that's probably one of the hardest things for, for me to do is when I see something to just be like, take somebody aside and, and be, be proactive about it and actually be like, Hey man, like absolutely fucking not unacceptable. Totally. It's, I mean, it's uncomfortable. I remember a handful of years ago, I was at GABF and you know, I was wearing pants because you wear pants, you know, right. and this um, other brewer like walked up behind me, leaned behind me, looked at my ass and was like, 
can't just be wearing those around or I don't remember what it was, but some comment about how my ass looked in my jeans and everyone in my company was standing around me and they were all mortified. And they were like, that was uncomfortable, was it? And I'm like, why didn't you say anything? Yeah, um, that was weird. And, you know, that was a small circumstance, but things like that happen all the time. And it's it's uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable for everyone else, but it is really uncomfortable to take that next step. And I think um, one of the biggest issues is that, like, what do you say? Because when you put someone in a confrontational mode, you're not going to get a positive reaction, right? right? So, like you said, pull someone aside and have a conversation instead of, you know, singling people out and making them feel uncomfortable. You're not going to solve anything. They're just going to, they have the possibility to get combative and, and right. not actually um, make the situation better. So I think that, uh, yeah, there, there are moments that you should say something in front of people. There are moments you should take, pull people aside. There's a lot of different um, avenues to go across. And I think, you know, to answer your question directly, I think since a lot of the, you know, beer industry Me Too movement has happened, people have reached out to me to ask like what they can do. And um, I mean, you talk to any like BIPOC person. And when everything's been happening in the last handful of years, people are like, what can I do to support you? Like no one in any of these situations wants to be the person that's facilitating the change. Like these right. people aren't doing anything wrong. So why are they the ones that have to make the decisions to have changes happen? Like it should be the people who are causing problems sort of like look within themselves and realize like where the biases and, um, internal misogyny and racism and all these other things like it's kind of on you to figure it out and I, I think to a certain degree like hearing or not to a certain degree hearing other people's perspective is really important to making the change um but yeah I don't I don't know what people are supposed to do I'm not the one harassed like I'm, I'm not doing these things so like how should I know what you should do but it, it takes a lot of conversation and and People seem to be doing the work in some aspects. I hope it continues and stays better and people are safe and um, have access to opportunities and things like that. But I I would like to think we're in a better place. I, I, I think back about this one anecdote when I was a plumber and it was about, well, alcoholism. And um, I was out going to get some dinner and a drink with my girlfriend at the time. And we go to this bar and outside of the bar is one of the plumbing trucks, one of our company plumbing trucks. And inside the bar is this one of the plumbers. And um, he's absolutely trashed. Can't even form a sentence trashed. And he, he drove there. And I regret to this day that I didn't like steal his keys from him. I like just kind of went about my and, and I went to our foreman about it. And um, and he and he, he gave me a good piece of advice. He's like, well, is he your friend or is he your buddy? If he's your buddy, just go ahead and keep drinking with him, I guess. But if he's your friend, you need to do something. And I think that what I ended up doing is going to the going to him and saying, "We're going to talk about this with the owner, and we're you know either you're going to bring it up or I'm going to bring it up. Which way do you want it? You know." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that that is it was really hard for me because this guy was also you know. 25 years older than me and had way more, you know, experience. And I was just this kid, but a change ain't going to happen if you don't do anything, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like and people's need, you know, caring about each other is going to take some of that kind of stuff. 
Um, yes, it's really important. And um, yeah, it's complicated, but I think having conversations and calling people out and I mean, it's just so layered and there's so many ways that certain people in the industry just think that it's okay to act and you know there's all of these like women and other folks that are in minority situations having these conversations amongst ourselves and it sucks that we have to like constantly be calling people out or whatever but it's yeah it's I don't have a direct answer and I don't really know what to do and but I'm glad that people are you know having conversations and, and wanting more um but yeah, I think, I think I'm kind of exhausted by it all. And I think there was parts of me that forgot about a lot of stuff that happened to me earlier in my career, because I was in a really safe place at Breakside for a long time. And like, if someone talks shit to me, or is rude to me, or like, doesn't introduce themselves and introduce themselves to every man around me or whatever it is, or talks down to me or mansplains, I just fucking walk away. Because like, I don't care. Like, what do you, you just think I'm a bitch? Okay cool so, bye yeah. whatever you can fucking tell me how brewing works yeah, I, I don't know um a little bit of a rant but yeah i i'm in a place in my career where i can kind of do that to a certain degree and um i don't know maybe i i don't know maybe i'm not i think i'm rambling slightly but uh i hope that i continue to be a safe place for other people and don't have to deal with those things <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe we just need to all start, you know, I think everyone's very aware of it. And if we're continue to be aware of it and continue to make it okay to talk about, then it's, then we're going in the right direction. Sometimes you go in steps, sometimes you go in leaps, Yeah, but it's, um, well, you know, there, as long as the trajectory is on the right path, we're doing the, we're doing what we have to do. Exactly. Um, we're going to take a short break for a message and come right back for more of this conversation with Natalie Rose Baldwin of Wayfinder Beer. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushang. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.f-i-r-s-d-t-e-a.com. All right, we're back with Natalie Baldwin of Wayfinder Beer. Um, I am super excited to be talking to you. And I actually, one of the questions that I wanted to ask of you is, do you have any beers that you made at R- at, during Breakside at R&D that you really didn't like and did, were any of them really successful? Um, I want to get like a scoop, like stay West. I hate that beer, but then it became a big thing or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. I, I'm trying to think if there's any, because the way that like I was designing beers, a lot of the beers that I made didn't really get scaled up to production. Uh, a lot of my most of the big um, beers that I made that got scaled up were um, lager beers like Dark Check Lager and um, Pale Check Lager and a couple of other things. So um, right on brand for my new job. Nice. But as far as like beers that I didn't like that were super successful, I don't I don't know if, if it's necessarily like that. Um, I really like to make 
you know, Ben really loved chili beers and there's a couple of chili beers that he really liked to make. And I didn't have anything against them, but it sucks when you have to do gravities on a chili beer every day. Right. You like go in and get and, heartburn uh, first thing in the day. <laughs> or for me, I would just like on an empty stomach or just have coffee and then drink something spicy. And I'd be like, Oh God. Are there any types of beers that you absolutely just hate? Like you hate Rauk beer. Do you hate like, please say no, because. Um... No, I like Rauk beer. Yes. Um, <laughs> I hate Belgian triples. Really? It's so sweet. It just has this like it. T- they, it doesn't matter what how well beer the beer is made. It tastes like if pennies were soaked in sugar. I just don't <laughs> like it. Hmm. That's funny because I love Belgian triples. I feel like they need to be dry though. They're, I guess that then becomes like Belgian golden ale, you know? They're dry, but it's just like, I don't know. It's like the phenol, ester, mouthfeel, everything about it, I'm just not into. Mm. Um, also, that like in the same vein in like German beer, Maybach is like the same thing. Mm. Oh, I love Maybach. I know. Sorry. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I think I kind of have a sweet tooth and I kind of like. Gear, I go toward some of these like malt forward beers just because I grew up eating gummy worms and my mom would always like get me candy is like a thing. I, you know, I grew up in the eighties and the nineties and, you know, sugar wasn't bad for you back then. So my mom just <laughs> poured it down my throat and I, I love sweets, but I've had to like completely like remove them from my life. Like, cause yeah. it's just not, it's not a healthy thing. And then I um, bought you a honey pie. Oh my God. I love that honey pie. Um, <laughs> it's like this honey custard pie with salt on top. And I gave it to Kevin on his last day. It was so good with a cup of coffee in the morning. And then I kind of like felt kind of fucking really shaky. After. <laughs> <laughs> Just sugar and caffeine. Just sugar and caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those are the two that I like specifically dislike. Um, I think that like, just brown things like like brown ales scotch ales those are just i don't care but right yeah well they're not very trendy right now except for maybe red ale might be having a comeback i hope (laughs) uh amber lagers are making a comeback yeah real real hard which is great you know people like (laughs) those beers and um it's interesting how we like collectively as brewers we see something that sells and then we all just like pile on top. Like it definitely happened with new England hazy IPA where it was like, there was a moment in 2019 where you went to a bottle shop and that's all you could freaking find. Like, Mm -hmm. and I remember being like, can I just please have a West coast IPA? Like where, Mm -hmm. like if you, if you sell it to me, I'll buy it, (laughs) you know, but maybe, maybe I was on the, in the minority there, but. I don't I feel, feel like, like anyone ever says, like, give me a West Coast IPA. What a beautiful, special little baby. I love it. Right. How do you feel about um, being in the Northwest and, and being able to go, you know, so close to not only Yakima, but Willamette Valley? Um, is there anything special there? Did you guys ever do I know you guys, Brickside in particular, did so, so many different um, fresh hops. Do you mm-hmm. feel any... Is there any like favorite hop? Is there any like anything you want to talk about? Again, like being on brand with my new job. Um, I've just been, you know, secretly pining for this job unknowingly to both of us this whole time. Um, but my uh 
favorite fresh hop beer I ever made was this fresh hop sterling pills. It was kind of like a Zwickle pills with uh sterling and something about like just that this was like extra Zwickle pills where it was not just it was like a little bit like slightly hazy is the wrong word, but it was like not even like bright all the way Zwickle beer. Right. So it was just like a little bit of yeast in there. And then in my head, I'm like uh picturing these little, you know, little hop babies uh mm-hmm. tagging onto these little yeasties and just like, oh my God, it was so good. It was like right. the perfect amount of like like delicate hop sulfur with like just a little bit of like rustic zwickle. I don't know. It just was so fucking good. Um and that was like one of the favorites that I made. And uh we made that for I we're gonna make it last year, but didn't end up making it because of a hop snafu but um anyway uh yeah i love fresh hop season not necessarily just to i don't even always want to drink the beers i just think it's so fun you know it's just this little magical part of the season and i've done wine harvest a couple times and it's just that like harvest season things in the pacific northwest are just so full of energy and people are so excited to just be a part of it and again like i think who knows how much fresh hot beer people are actually enjoying. Cause sometimes, you know, they fall off. You got to drink them fast or else they, right. they fall off, but it's just, you know, it's just seasonal. Everyone gets so excited. And I like that whole energy and experience of it. And something that I think I would miss not being in the Pacific Northwest. I you know we probably have plenty of people in the Midwest and West East coast and all that probably have no idea how big fresh hops are in Portland. There is a time. And I think it's the last week of August through October one where mm-hmm. you cannot sell any other IPA. Like no. if you have your regular IPA or you want to come up with a different IPA seasonal, forget about it. You can't sell anything. Every yep. single bar is just full of fresh hops. It's, it's kind yep. of wonderful and tragic at the same time. I think it's really cool because it's very indicative of Seattle and Portland and everywhere in between the I five corridor um, making all these fresh hops. But also it's like as a beer consumer can be very exhausting. I think. Yep. Um, I've got all these questions, but I'm trying to figure on the right one. I know we've kind of like tagged a lot of them together too, I'm sure. Right. I want to hear about your animals. <laughs> I want to hear about the menagerie. Yeah, Lestat and beef. <laughs> um, I have a almost 13 year old little pit bull that I got when I lived in Denver when I was 20 and he <clears throat> when I lived in Denver pit bulls were illegal and I traded him for a 40 of steel reserve from a guy who was on house arrest <laughs> I didn't know that. yeah um my friend and I they were like oh my gosh um this guy has English bulldog puppies do you want one and we're like oh English bulldogs are cute yeah. And my mom was like, don't get a dog. And I'm like, I got a dog. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went to this guy's house and he wasn't allowed to leave his house because he was on house arrest. And he was like, you can have your puppies, but you have to bring me a 40. And my friend that was getting uh, beef's brother um, was straight edge. And she was like, I don't want to break my straight edge to buy this guy beer. And I was 20. So I couldn't buy beer. And yeah. um yeah, so I can't remember if we got two 40s of Steel Reserve or if it was one, but so we got two dogs out of it. Um, 
Yeah. And until I think 2021 or 2022, pit bulls were still technically illegal in Denver. Um, so yeah, that's beef. He's the the sweetest, dorkiest little baby and smiles with his teeth. He's wonderful. And now he's just old and slow. Um, and then I have a hairless cat named Lestat um, from the interview with a vampire book by Anne Rice. And I just thought he looked like he was a thousand years old. I can't remember how old Lestat is in the book, but um, yeah, he just looks like an old little vampire. And he's just a little pink naked cat, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and then I have a little trash kitten named Violet that I got off of Craigslist from a guy. And I like grabbed her from him and took her home and then like kind of looked at her and she has this really weird zigzag tail. It's like a, has a right angle in it. And then it like zigzags kind of like a little Pikachu tail. Oh, like a little lightning bolt. But yeah, that's that's the crew. That's the crew. That's the menagerie. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you like doing outside of out outside of beer and hanging out with your animals and conjuring frolicking and flowers of, right. of, of fields of flower? Um, what are you excited about? What is like what is I'm like kind of a nerd, but uh I my mom was a seamstress growing up, and so I learned how to make a lot of stuff but I'm not very good at following patterns. And so I'll kind of like fold something inside out and then sew it backwards. And then hopefully mm. it works. I remember like a couple of years ago, Lisa for her birthday, I was like, it was noon and I was driving her house at two and I was like, shit, I got to make her a present. And I like <laughs> sewed a, a purse really fast and it's not perfect, but you can put things in it, I think. Um, and, but uh, coming up, we have the Oregon Beer Awards, and um, I MC that with another brewer. And I'm gonna um, work with our marketing director here at Wayfinder, and we're gonna make some. St- he's gonna help me like design some stuff, and then I'm gonna sew it on outfits. So uh, awesome! Really cool, but I'm pretty excited about that. That does sound actually really cool. <laughs> uh, for everyone who is listening, Lisa is Lisa Allen, my partner. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Lisa has definitely got the embroidery bug in the last couple of years. That was kind of, I think her pandemic deep dive and everybody got, um, either beer or, or other types of related embroidery pieces. (laughs) I got a margarita because I love tequila. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And margaritas. Citric acid and tequila. Mm. Mm Um, what do you want to, what, where do you see yourself? Like, what, what do you want to, I mean, you said you didn't want to open a brewery. Maybe this is kind of a, this sounds like a stupid interview question. I'm not trying to go there. No, uh, do it. Do it. Where, where, where do you want to, what do you want to do in like five years? Like what's the, what's the trajectory? Like um, obviously run Wayfinder, but um, what kind of beers are on the horizon? Like, what do you, like, what's exciting? What are you what are you drinking right now that you're into? What are you, what are you doing right now that you're into? Um it's sort of beer related and and not beer related. So when I um was talking about taking this job, I talked to a, a bunch of people who are brewmasters and business owners and things like that and I was like, what is it? Like what's the point of all of this, right? Like you obviously get a little bit of a pay bump being in charge of stuff, but you're taking on responsibility and time and all these other things. So like what's why? Why are you doing this when, you know, my job at Breakside was very comfortable. I could do whatever I wanted. 
So like, why change it up? And um, the way that a lot of people brought it or talked about it was that like, you know, beer gets to be part of the easy part of these jobs where, you know, you're managing people and time and money and all these other things. And I think that all of the situations that I've been up in up to this point have prepared me to be a person that could and can be a good advocate for other people in the industry. Um, I want to be a boss that people want to work for, you know, obviously there's turnover and people don't always like you, but like, I want to be a boss that challenges people to be like the best person that they could be in a role. I want to be an advocate for people to make decent living wages. I want to provide safe spaces for people and like do all of this in combination with making really good beer. So I think like the, the thing that I want to continue to do is learn more about all of those things and be better and better at all of those things. And, you know, obviously the beer is the main focus, but it's not just the beer. And I, the way that Breakside changed my life with the stability and comfort and, um, access all of the, I said access like 700 times, but it just like really changed my life. And I want, you know, I didn't finish school. Like I, I went to school for biochem and a couple of years in, I decided that I didn't want to do that. I didn't really have the money. I couldn't really swing it. I just was like exhausted and couldn't pull it off. And when I started in beer, I have access to further education and, um, traveling and learning and peers and just all of these really incredible things that changed my life. And I want to make sure that I'm not just holding that for myself and being a person that can provide that, or at least facilitate other people, whether that's a conversation to help or whatever. And I feel kind of silly right now because I'm, you know, figuring out how to do my new job and figuring out how I want to make new recipes and all of these things. And I'm just busy. So right. I feel like I'm, I'm not in a great place to be that exact person, but I'm trying to like, you know, get back to that place, create all my processes and feel stable so that when I have more bandwidth, I can like step back into that role. So, you know, my goal over the next year is to continue to, you know, be better at my job so that I have room for those things and kind of like grow off of that. So that's the plan. That's the plan. Uh, yeah, I feel like it, that's that's a noble goal. I think that like pass the torch. You said that before. Um, mm-hmm. Being you could be a Ben Edmonds to another brewer, and yeah, you know, that's quite a compliment. But I, I don't. Know, I love Ben. Yeah, <laughs> I think every if anybody could be like Ben, it would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons that Ben and I got along or, you know, this is all my perspective, but I feel like I value him so much because he allowed me to challenge him and have tough conversations. And he gave me the space to have that. And I think it takes like a really strong, like confident, comfortable leader to be in a position where, you know, I don't need to be told what kind of hoses we need to buy. Like, I don't, you know, those conversations, whatever, yeah. we can have those, but like, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? Why did you do this math? Can you explain this to me? Like it, poor Ben, I'm just like, why, who, where, when? (laughs) This poor man is just trying to have a nice life. And I'm just peppering him with questions all the time. And sometimes not understanding him and looking at him like he's speaking French or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, 
want to be like strong and confident enough in my own knowing to be able to have someone treat me like that and me be able to deal with it with grace and allow people to contribute and make things constantly better instead of just have be like, I don't know, take all these little pieces of people, like things I'm learning from Ben. And like I, my best friend, Sam from Von Ebert is we, I, I laugh because we are so drastically different because he is so, um, like logical. And I am like, I, um, I know that I'm smart, but I'm also very emotion based. And so like, I can see both sides of it. And like, you know, we've taught each other more logic and I've taught him more emotion and all these things. And, you know, when, once you're applying that to workplace and, um, you know, when I got this job, he sent me a bunch of like leadership podcasts and books to listen to so that I've been like, you know, just absorbing information from all angles. Cause I want to be really good at my job. And, you know, he's going to help me with, um, the owner of Von Ebert and I are going to meet up, uh, tomorrow actually. And he's going to teach me some stuff about financials and like, I don't know, I just have all these resources. So like, why wouldn't I want to, you know, continue that? And, you know, anyway, um, Sam, yeah, Sam is kind of like Spock. If Spock didn't talk so damn much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love Sam. Um, Sam it's not that he doesn't talk. He, no, he, he can, doesn't talk as much to everyone else. He talks a lot to me, but <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting, right? <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, perfect. I think that like if um you I think people maybe don't always see it, but like the Natalie's of the world that challenged Ben, you know, like you feel like you're poking and prodding, but you're actually just probably keeping Ben on his toes and he probably needs it. You know, like yeah, uh, it's good. <laughs> it's good to be, you know you know why does why does ph why is seven neutral why the number seven why not zero yeah you know like you start asking these questions to people yeah. like, oh, crap i never thought about that like what you know yeah. like, you can have these converse it, it makes everybody grow and i think that you'll as uh, when you're more in like a ben role which you're getting you're more in a ben role now but mm-hmm. you'll you'll really value the people that are like you that prod it you know i, I know i have. yeah totally um And I think something I'm good at is, you know, knowing when I'm wrong or apologizing when I'm wrong or not knowing something. And I'm interested to see like how I learn to do that while also like being in charge of more people Um, because, you know, it just shifts a little bit. So yeah, I'm super excited to see how I, what, what stuff I mess up and what stuff I recover from and learn and kind of reinvent myself and stay true. So I, I, I think that I'm in a, I think I know I'm in a transitional part of my life, but I feel the most prepared I've ever felt for, you know, a next thing. So that's exciting. It's amazing. And um, selfishly, I got to ask, what is your favorite Wayfinder beer? Um, because I want to know. Check as fuck. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I think it's mine too. <laughs> Might be my Hellas. I don't know. Yeah, the um, cool. Um, yeah. Man, I'm running out of stuff. I think maybe we need to start wrapping this up. Um, yeah, I, think, it's, it's, I mean, we talked a lot, so yeah, I'm getting bored. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, ew, it's done now. <laughs> it's done now. Uh, what's uh, what uh, what? what's new what's the what's the uh, we'll end it with this one uh yeah what trend in beer are you most excited about what trend are you excited would go what trend would you like to go away as fast as possible 
I don't know if I live under a rock, but I don't really know what's happening <laughs> in here currently. Uh, I've been all self-involved as of late, so who knows what's even happening. Um, I well, Ralph beer that, is getting really popular. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I am really excited to see breweries that have, you know, they're, like you said, there's this big boom of breweries that were open for a bit where, but we're getting to the point where a lot of these breweries that have lasted the last like 10 years and a little bit further are, um, you know, have certain brand identities. And there's a lot of these breweries that are known for maybe not something in particular, but like known for making good solid beer that are, I don't know, there's just more of like this, it's not just Sierra Nevada and all these other you know, big breweries. Now there's like little breweries like Wayfinder can be substantial and like a big part of like what, what makes beer styles, beer styles. It's not just Sierra Nevada Pale Ale that makes Pale Ale, you know, like there's there's all these other breweries that are kind of like dialing stuff in in really cool ways and making really good, solid, consistent beer. And I don't know that that's a trend, but um, I, I like to see some of these breweries with a little bit of, you know, age on them and how they've adapted and survived this long and how they will continue to and then for things that are going away if one more fucking person tells me to put fruit in my goza i'm burning down the building (laughs) perfect (laughs) well i love that um thanks so much for coming on the show um natalie will be back on the next episode of this show as a host having a conversation with a brewer of her choosing that will be on air in two weeks, so make sure you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in beer space, check out patreon.com backslash allaboutbeer. I'm Kevin Davey of gold.beer and Heater Around. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushang. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com.